I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. We have not one, but two episodes this week. And first up, Today's episode is with Blakely Thornton, someone who I've gotten to know very recently through Hannah. He was a guest on Hannah's podcast, and he has a very interesting story about growing up black and gay in America. Uh, First, we talk a little bit about navigating growing up black in essentially a kind of a white, wealthy world of Dallas, Texas, and the complications that that brings or certainly the struggles that that brings, and then to complicate it further, uh, coming to terms quite young that he's gay, but not coming out, uh, living the lie, all these uh, things that you, I guess, you never, you take for granted when you don't grow up with that kind of confusion. And it's a really interesting coming out story, a long coming out story with the complications of race and uh, playing uh, sports in a hyper masculine world and not feeling safe and it's 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 fascinating really Blakely's actually a very funny guy uh that I you know I follow him on Instagram and I've done some insta lives with him and Hannah and he's very sharp and he's very quick and uh so I knew he'd be a great guest um we haven't really talked that much about th- th- this story so I thought it'd be a great addition to the pod um it is quite an American story, and I know sometimes on this podcast, the American stories, you know, they don't get as many listens, or, you know, people feel maybe that they don't, they won't see themselves in it, so perhaps they don't click on that episode, but I, if you're here to this point, I highly recommend that you listen, because his story is great, and he's great at telling it, so uh, enjoy uh, Blakely, and I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. So I see on your Instagram that you post sometimes that you're trying to get to 3,000 and then you were at 3,000 and you went down. So what, what we're going to try to do here today is we're going to okay. try to get you some Irish followers. So this podcast, largely Irish listenership, and I, I need you to, uh, to help me educate them about growing up black and gay in America. Well, can I tell you one? this is going to be my Everest to gain Irish followers because I feel like due to St. Patrick's day, like black people, like, like St. Patrick's day is like national black person's day inside day. It's like, this, <laughs> this is not going to be good. It's not going to be safe for me. And literally every St. Patrick's day, if I go outside or like I'm around, someone will come up to me and start rapping in my face aggressively. It is often Nelly. Or it's like it's like surely it's got to be House of Pain, no? It's like no, no, it's not. They pick they pick rappers between like that glorious era where like rappers hadn't start wearing fitted clothing yet, so it was like vocal tank tops and like really big button downs. They pick like '01 to '05 era, like Chingy, Nelly, like people that you don't remember anymore. Usher, Usher. And, they're just, and they're just like rapping like Chingy's Holiday in at me, like we're like we're gonna start like being bros. It's, I think it's based in an attempted friendship. But it's very like, it's very like four-year-old baby. Like he's black. You know what they like? Rap. Um, <laughs> so, so actually, let's let, let me ask you a little bit about about your story because mm-hmm. I, I mean I know from like snippets that Hannah has told me uh, that you know you you didn't you didn't come out until like a good bit later in your life. And I think sometimes I feel bad, like asking somebody to talk about their sort of like coming out story, except that probably in your community, you guys are like sick to death of coming out stories. But actually when I think about it, I've probably only ever heard 10 of people that I know. Well, mine was like, it was interesting because I feel like one growing up, like I went, I grew up in Dallas, Texas and went to a very bougie prep school. So it was kind of like if the OC was in Dallas. <laughs> um, it was 
wild. And I think I was often the first black person that wasn't like staff that people had dealt with. Oh, right. So you you were very much in like a white environment? Oh, yeah. Because I was born in 1985. So like, if you think about it, my parents were born in 1950, sorry, mom and dad, 1954 and 1957. So like they integrated their schools. So like my parents and my friend's parents, (laughs) there's no real interaction with, for them as human beings until like their kids start playing together. So then like when you're like, and my school was first through 12. So like when you're like seven or eight, you know, like you don't really notice the differences, but then like when you know, you notice like, okay, there's 36 kids in my class and two of us are black. And then like, there's maybe we graduated with a class of 80 and there's four of us. So for me, like I knew probably from real talk deep down that I was gay at like 12, 13, but also like being black is the bigger deal. So I always look at it as like, I only have the ability to look over one shoulder at a time and yeah. like being black and gay around a bunch of rich white people at country clubs where there's no black member is like no time for that. So it's like, we're going to be real good at sports. We're going to be real mean and we're going to be real popular. And then no one will fuck with you. And, and by, by the way, were you in a bougie school because your parents were wealthy? Like your parents were successful. They did. We weren't as well. We weren't as like well to do as like the people at school. My parents were both like college educated consultants working for IBM. So like, you know, I, I never like, I think I grew up very comfortable compared to the average American by far, but still in a school where like all the sports teams in Dallas are owned by people in your class. You don't, you feel like, like my, I grew up in a house that was maybe like 3,200 square feet. And my house was the same size as like the pool house of kids houses that I went to. Right. So you were, yeah, you were surrounded by, by a lot of wealth. So I was just going to say before you, you're even like dealing with thinking about, am I gay or not? You obviously were coming to terms with the fact of, oh shit, I'm different to these other kids. That was was obviously the first thing, right? I think that that's the first thing. And I think it's also very interesting in that you have to like, as a kid, especially like there's a large community of like black kids that went to prep schools that are now in New York. But I feel like as a kid, you have to learn like, cause your parents are like, don't trust these white kids. But like, but it's like obviously they would think that because they grew up in the fucking fifties and sixties. Like they have really good reason to think that. So you have to kind of learn what what aspects of what they're saying are like fear and what aspects of what they're saying are right. So like I went, to, I, I, there's a similar experience for me where I went to my friend's mom's ranch and we were like used to ride horses when we were like twelve or thirteen. And the grandma comes up to me and offers me chocolate covered raisins, which she calls nigger toes. She's like, you put <laughs> nigger toes? And I'm like, what, bitch? Like, <laughs> like, I'm 13. And then, like, I feel bad because, like, my friend and his mom are fucking mortified. And we're all just sitting there like, uh, how do we resolve that? And I feel like it's like a comedy of errors and, like, those kind of experiences of, like, both accidental and real racism that you're dealing with so i just for me like did not have the fucking time to even entertain the ass uh, entertain the thought of having another like obstacle to a normal or like or or not even normal just like less friction like less friction filled existence because i feel like being like a black gay football player in dallas in like 2002 was not going to be something that I necessarily would have like survived easily. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a lot. I mean, it's, it's still a bit today, right? Because you have that other side where the acceptance, well, let, 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 let me not jump ahead to that. So it turns out that you're quite athletic though, right? Even though I I know from our previous conversation that it wasn't as important to you, but you did thrive in it. Ended up playing football in college at university of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Which is a huge, um, that was, interesting and fun because Ivy League football it's like it's not like Penn State or like UT where you're just in two schools one's physical and one's mental that don't give a fuck about each other because the coaches still make their money from boosters and they gotta win and then like Penn is like you guys are fucking idiots that bring down the academic prestige of the school the teachers aren't like oh great go fight win and also just like in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make more money if I like go out and become a consultant than on like the practice squad of the Cowboys and I won't have like, you know, concussions. So I always, I always looked at it at, like, it was, like a means to an end. Like I was never very passionate about football and it was a very homophobic and wild place to be. <laughs> so sure. I kind of were you, like, were you like, were you like, uh, were you already like exploring your sexuality at this stage? No, I was literally fucking terrified oh so you're still like, pretending you're still pretending you're a straight even oh, in yeah. your behavior still, still, 
I'm not a gold star gay. I have had sex with women. I was just like, well, got a cup, got to like, got to play. If we're going to James Bond this, we're going to be undercover. <laughs> we got to fucking do this. You got to commit. Um, it was just frightening because like the, you're around a bunch of like very alpha, very macho, very homophobic people at all times. And because of the schedule, you live with them. You have the same class schedule as them. They end up becoming your friends because you're no, they're like nobody else is up at 6 a.m. running. You have to have all your classes done by 2 p.m. and then go to football for four hours in a study hall. So like they're your peer group. Your peer group is just this psychotic group of like <laughs> of dudes. So are you you're going along with it? You're like even yeah. I'm just like okay, cool. Are you saying fun. homophobic like, shit so, yourself? So, like, trying to act like an aspect of it, but not really like hey, let's not be homophobic. Let's not do this. Like I wasn't like ever openly saying the things they were but i was like i think i got more vocal about like let's not be anti-gay let's not i think actually one of my roommates my senior year i literally go i hope your i hope your children are gay and we didn't speak for like <laughs> a month he found it so cr- i was like when i look back at that i was like i hope you have gay kids <laughs> and i was like that's not a bad thing to hope but like for them it was it, it was it was a big deal to them so yeah yeah so, so you're you're around like you're around like proper out there homophobia I'm around, I'm around like you know rural pennsylvania like i'm talking not philly i'm talking like steel driving towns like i'm talking the like like the broiest of that tri-state you know the tri-state area they're <laughs> they're coming they're coming out it, it, it was wild and you have nobody to talk to about this either right mm-hmm. you don't have anybody to talk to about this right exactly you're, no you're, you're just you're, you're like, just okay, taking cool, like, all this gonna, like, on yourself you're just dealing with it completely internally. It's like that Beyonce song. It was me, myself, and I. Like that. That's what we were doing. That's what was happening. And then basically graduate. But then you all have to do that big migration to New York because everybody's in banking or like. Trying but to before finance. you before you before you tell that, can you tell me the story that Hannah always goes on about? Oh my God. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted me to repeat that. So well, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, the, the I, I definitely want you to repeat it. So this is this is similarly why I think after telling this story, you will understand why I did not come out of college at all. So we get to we get to campus six weeks early because when you play football, you have to go through like you know preseason camp. So I'm at college six weeks before anybody else in my class and other other players, and I was pretty good. I was pretty athletic, and then apparently every year in the first couple of days of camp, if you they pick one freshman and if he does something to like embarrass a senior, like we were doing like full back linebacker drills. And I like knocked a senior on his ass like first day. Cause I was like, Oh, you're hyped up. So we go and we're showering in those like big public group showers. And I've never done that. No stalls, like, right? Just like, like sh- just open heads. stalls, just like, like 20 dudes in a shower room. So I've never showered with them. And before I'm closeted. I'm also just like 18 with a bunch of like 19, 20, 22, 23 year olds. I'm just like, okay, cool. So I'm in here and I'm like showering, like weird, nervous. And this scene, this super senior actually, who's 23 years old and looks like fucking Wolverine is like Blakely. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, you're a little bitch. You're a little whore. And I'm like, oh, they know. <laughs> like, I'm like, literally like the alarm bells are fucking Looney Tunes ringing. And he's like, you're a little bitch, you're a little whore. I'm like, what? Huh? And he's like, you want this dick, don't you? And I'm like, excuse, I'm like, just, I'm, my head was turning, spinning and like thinking, but my, my, my face was just blank, which is shock. And he starts like rubbing his stomach and like flapping his dick. He's like, you want this little bitch, you want this cock. And then all the seniors start chanting, money shot, money shot. I don't know what this fucking means. This is my first time away from home. This is my second day not living at my parents' house. So I'm like, and I've also like read, you know, articles or something about like football players getting carried away and like broomsticks up asses or like raping or like fraternity haze and it becomes some kind of weird eyes wide shut bullshit. So I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) like they're going to rape me. So I'm like, it's not funny. But when I look back on it, so I like basically still going money shot. He's like rubbing like that disgusting, like cheap gym, like Gojo all in one on his stomach and like making a lather and like flapping his dick. And I'm like, oh my God. The other freshmen look like, uh, because they don't know what's happening either, but they're all kind of slowly backing out of the room. So I literally go and I'm thinking, okay, well, if they're gonna like rape me, I'm gonna fight, whatever. So I kind of back into a corner and back up so my butt is against the corner of the shower because I'm like, nobody's coming to me from behind. 
no surprises. <laughs> like, like we're gonna figure out what's gonna happen. So then he's like, you, you little bitch, you little whore, you want this dick? And I'm like, what? And they're like, they start chanting it louder. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I'm going to be on, like, Bryant Gumble Real Sports, suing the school. Like, I'm like, it's all, like, my life <laughs> in the past and future is flashing in front of my head. And I remember thinking, I'll probably be able to write a book about this. <laughs> I remember, like, I literally remember being like, okay, cool. What are the revenue streams for being a survivor? <laughs> like, but so... He basically at the end like fl- like gets enough of the gojo where it's like a white lather and then just throws it in my face and like they all start laughing. So the joke was that like the soap is like the jizz. Yeah, the jizz. Yeah. And I was just traumatized like for the rest of my time at school. So like if I if if, pre- if Blakely in two thousand four pre that incident had had a chance of coming out. Maybe, maybe it's 50 50. He does it during college. <laughs> Blakely post that incident, it is buried deep down in the recesses of my being. There is zero percent chance that like stunted me like a good fucking nine years. I was like, whoa, it was absolutely terrifying. And there's so much going on. There's so much going on. Oh, yeah. There's just, I mean, there's what, are the, what are the odds that this guy is fucking getting off on that? There's layers. I was just like, uh, what? But I mean, the, the funny thing is like a football locker room is just like the gayest straight place in the world. I think it's just very funny. Like, and then like you get comfortable with them. Like the amount of guys are like flapping their dicks in people's faces, balls on shoulders, just dumb fucking jokes, weird body comments. I'm just like, and plus the thing is like out of 120 people, there's gotta be like five or six other dudes there. So it's like, you never, so like, I, you never know. I know. And still, and still to this day, despite how far we've come so much further to go, but still how far we've come, there's still so few people coming out in sports. Well, I mean, football is also just like, I think it's like the prime machismo American major sport. And I feel like there's a lot to go on with that. So I feel like for me in athletics or just in life in general, I think the way I deal with bros is like, I feel like straight men respect the capacity for physical violence. So the reaction to me is usually different than the reaction to what they would consider a stereotypical gay man. I would tell Hannah, even like working at Jerry Media, like they would forget I'm gay because their idea of a gay man is not a large black man that boxes and plays football, which leads them to include you in bro culture more but also say wild things in front of you and like forget that that's offensive <laughs> like it's almost like and I, I were like that's why even like i was talking to like with hannah about like the dudes on summer house i was like they need gay energy but that is also alpha energy because i feel like if i walked in there i'd be like short stupid ugly sit down where's your rhythm stiff hip shut the fuck up where are the girls let's have mimosas and they would just not know what to do with that energy in the slightest <laughs> so i feel like they need alpha gay energy so to understand that the word again the gay experience is not a monolith either but who are, the, who are the classic alpha gays just to help people understand what an alpha gay is oh i just think an alpha gay is anybody who's just like not you don't have to subscribe to like although all the thing is it's a hard and complex subject and i don't want to miss yes yes but i, I feel like the traditional straight male's opinion of a gay man is more effeminate is, Oh, they're going to have a crush on me is, Oh, they're not going to be into sports. And that is completely fine. But that is, that is the stereotypical narrative that's been played. But I think when men come in and they're like, they're often just confused. They're like, Oh, you like to box. Oh, like you follow football. You follow like there, there are people that do all these things. Like liking men does not necessarily ascribe you to a certain culture or personality there are certain things that are commonalities of the gay experience but i th- i think we need to see a wider breadth of that in media in general because i feel like i would i feel like i would have come out sooner if i had seen someone like me in the media or seen someone like me in sports but i feel like and there's a lot, been so few the, there has been so yeah, few. a lot of the big part for me was like oh well i do like i do like sports i do like this i do like certain things that are masculine so like that doesn't make sense. Like a, a big part of me, like after college, like once you kind of get free of that, like toxic environment was like when I did get to New York, which is like, you know, if they say like put us all on an Island, like, well, that's where we are. <laughs> it's in Manhattan. It's just like, I didn't see myself in that culture. Cause like 
I just didn't know. I was like, okay, cool. Like, am I, do I need to be catty now? Do I need to be mouthy now? Do I need to like love RuPaul's Drag Race? All of which are dope things, but like, I'm not sitting, I don't live for them. I don't know. And I don't, I didn't see figures that were like sports figures that were actively playing either. And I feel like you have to like, there was a quote, I don't know who said it, but I'm not going to subscribe it to anybody, but you have to like see yourself to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I had seen myself earlier, I would have been able to come out earlier because I just didn't see a space for someone who looked like me or acted like me prominently featured in gay or queer culture, which is I think very much changing now. Thank God. There's many more experiences. There's many more kind of, you know, examples that aren't necessarily one specific archetype. No, but I, I, I still feel that the majority of like very success, like professional sports people that come out still tend to come out when they're done. Uh, with their with their career or certainly like very close to the end of their careers i think we're going to see it more in individual sports because i feel like with team sports the locker room aspect of it is what's preventing people because i think nowadays we're kind of almost hitting the precipice and we have a lot more to do but not we're not necessarily there that like in 2020 2021 i feel like being a pioneer and being gay in that aspect would get you respect that it wouldn't hurt your bottom line in terms of maybe like endorsements or overall treatment from the public, I would say in online and social media. But I feel like traditional team sports, especially the major leagues in the United States, there is a lot, it's like the last bastion of like latent homophobia. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like if, I feel like people are also like, if Colin Kaepernick can get this shit for kneeling, like, am I going to really want to go and be an openly gay quarterback in the NFL? Like, probably not. Like that experience between, the fans between the culture of the uh, of the of you know of the league and between like the locker room like are people gonna even say that like, you still have football players tweeting and saying the most wildly offensive shit <laughs> at all times and i feel it's based around like a toxic masculinity and you know, a traditional view of manhood that doesn't kind of like allow people to i don't know fully be open so, yeah, and I feel that like the limited stories that like I know there's there was one professional rugby player came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few, I can't remember specific examples, but the one sort of like the theme that runs through all of them is the added stress of fearing being outed because you're a, you're a public figure. Exactly. And I, I think there was one or two instances where they had to react to the fact that they were going to be outed and like mm-hmm. how difficult that just is like an added layer. The sense of being outed. I think it's very interesting because I think it's almost like it's kind of funny to me when you think about like manhood and toughness. It's almost like the equation of like for somehow how being a pussy is associated with being weak and like having balls is associated with being strong. But in reality, like a pussy can expand and push something the size of a watermelon outside of it and then (laughs) snap back. Whereas like if you touch me in my balls, like I, I might vomit. So I don't understand how the logic of that is the same way where it's like, okay, like, you know what a real man takes? Have you ever had a dick in your butt? Do you know what that feels like? And dealt with it, like, that's toughness. Like, until you've had a dick in your ass, don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to me about tough. Don't talk to me about grit. That's true grit. True grit is a dick in your butt. So, like, there was a There was a comic, a straight comic, actually, that was doing material about homophobia and uh, about this concept of gay men are, like, weak, you know? And he's like, they fuck other men. You know? yeah. like, like, I'm like, most oh, women are afraid yeah. of men. These guys are like, bring it on. Somebody that's 6'3", 200 pounds, and is going to do exactly to you what you're going to do to him? Like, <laughs> you know nothing. You know nothing, Jon Snow. You know fucking nothing. <laughs> so. actually, can I, this, is, this is just a funny thought that I've had, which... You can correct me straight away if I'm just coming across as ignorant, but being uh, as a man, when I when I finish, when I when I come, I, I'm very much kind of done, and I've always <laughs> wondered about the 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 clash of needs uh, in a homosexual I mean, experience. I feel like that's no different than like a straight a straight relationship because like let's be real, y- y'all aren't coming at the same time <laughs> all the time, so it's like. Who knows? You got to admit, but I, I think that's a male problem more than a gay problem. It should be, <laughs> you got to be like, like when you're done, you're done. Cause I've dealt with the same thing. Like the goal is to, I think because both partners are men or in my experiences, we're both very aware of like in your mind, especially if you're with somebody more than one or two times, like we need to make this as close to seamless as possible. <laughs> and that's what 69ing is for, really, is to make sure we're on the same road. Everyone's at the same going pace, the same. You know, but I feel like in other experiences, you gotta like, like want somebody you, 
you, you got to give and take. But I, I do feel like that initial like, and I'm done. Oh, wait, he still got a boner. <sighs> like that, that I have had that moment in my head where it's like, oh, shit, I finished first. Or, oh, shit, he finished first. Like, you're not leaving. And like, this is not reciprocity. I think reciprocity do you, do you, do you is feel, the name of the game. <laughs> do you feel that? I, I've asked one or two gay comics this. And, you know, it's funny. I, I found in my past experience of interviewing gay comedians mostly, Mm-hmm. They're not they're not like super comfortable talking to me about sex. And I was asking them, why are you not more comfortable doing sexual material like sexual material about your sexual experiences on stage? Mm-hmm. And I'm paraphrasing, but the, the general experience is that they find audiences aren't totally comfortable with that. Do you do you wish there was like just more openness, uh the same way that people are casual joking about uh, heterosexual sex that people would just actually just get it out there to make it more acceptable for everybody you know like it like it sort well, of it chips away at homophobia it's gonna be a different answer for me because like i'm not a professional comic so like i don't give a fuck about an audience like i'm gonna like like you need to know like if i hear about your dick her vagina her balls her pussy you're gonna hear about asses butts 69ing like you know like do you like everything i think in a general again i don't think this is a gay or straight thing i think people need to be more, more comfortable with like the real talk of what happens during sex in general so i think it should be destigmatized and ge- i think all of it should be destigmatized and i think if i were a comic you would get as much about what happens to me before after and during as anybody as any fucking like stupid ass dane cook ass motherfucking comic would like not that dane cook's terrible but he is but like you know what i mean like <laughs> no but i know what you mean and i i actually because I, I think it's like you know if if people if everybody's laughing at some sort of like you know hi- hyperbolic heterosexual experience that some comic or even just like on a podcast people t- like right now we, me and you were talking mm-hmm. if they're laughing at some heterosexual experience that they may or may not have had but the scenario is funny uh surely it helps then if there's just more of the just the normalization exactly. of that these things are the exact true. same thing they're just sexual experiences between two people even with like female comics, even like when you look like at Amy Schumer or like a Hannah, like they're considered like raunchy comics. They're not really raunchy. They're just, I don't think people are used to women speaking like that. And mm. I think that's more a larger cultural issue. And I think the larger cultural issue is like, okay, like, you know, there aren't, as, there aren't gonna be as many gay comics as straight comics, just percentage wise. So I think people are less used to hearing the material. And I think with laughter, with comedy, people tend to go for what is universal and what is human. And I don't think, you know, since I guess at least half of comic fa- comedy fans are men, or really if you even look at stand-up comics, it's largely like white straight dudes or black straight dudes, that if I'm like, hey, did you know that like when somebody fucks you in the ass, like the cum can come back out. That can happen. Like when you poop, it might be a swirl. Like, but like, but like <laughs> straight dudes are not, straight dudes <laughs> don't know about that. And so it's just like, for them, I think it's more shocking yes. because they're probably never going to have that experience, even if you get pegged. It's not like the dildo jizzes. So, like, so I feel like you have to kind of normalize that. And I feel I like think, it's, yeah. it's a, yeah. No, I, I think you're right. You have to normalize that, and it has to stop being so shocking. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like you weren't shocked when there was, you know, some whatever, some heterosexual experience on stage that wasn't that shocking. I mean, it's shocking for some, but in general, it's yeah. not that shocking anymore. And it should be just as unshocking to hear, you know, like a funny gay sex story. Yeah. So I feel like if I ever did do stand up, I'm not saying that I would lean into sex all the time, but like when you're single, there's a lot of funny, weird things that happen. And I also do feel like, there's more interesting and funny and discovery type experiences that happen in a male male encounter than male female, mostly because like men are trash and we're all, and I'm dealing with the fact that we're all men. So like we're dealing with a bunch of fucking like gutter butt dudes that are going to try to get away with what they can never get away with. And that's me included. <laughs> I feel like that ends in some funny situations, whether that's me headbutting somebody because they know I played football and he gets a concussion. <laughs> Or you try to like Greco-Roman wrestle somebody and you end up like, you know, with stitches like that. that it just, that's what happens. There's a lot more going on there. Yeah. Like, like it goes too far in the adrenaline. <laughs> it's like, yo, that oh, yeah. hurt, oh, yeah. motherfucker. you gotta have that to thing, but that's what I think is good about it is that I feel like because there is more openness, at least in the interaction to the gay experience that like you go into it. Like, like, like for instance, ah, this is going to be interesting. Army hammer situation. Yes. He clearly is exploitative and he is bad. And what I have seen 
Like we should believe these women. And like, he's, I'm not going to say he's a shit bag, but like he clearly is coercive and taking advantage of young women. But the general shock to those text messages that, that was initially coming out. And like, I think all me and my gay friends are like, what? Like y'all, for, okay. He said, he's, oh, he's going to fuck you till you die. Like, congrats. It's called Tuesday, lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I know no, that you're separating to, like, the two break things. Break your ribs I, and I, eat your heart. Like, have you ever been on Grinder? Go on Grinder for five seconds and Army Hammer is a teddy bear. Like, I don't know what. Like, oh my God. I'm like, also, all of his imagery was just the Nine Inch Nails music video for Closer. That is my problem with everybody acting like he's such a wild person. The opening of that video, and I know you remember it, is Trent Reznor holding that beating heart and then saying, I want to fuck you like an animal and I want to feel you from the inside and all that blood and like organ shit. Army Hammer just did strooms, watched the Closer music video and texted girls that. When he's <laughs> afterwards, gross and shitty. But the actual DMs, like just zero shock value for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't and that's what adds to the salacious nature of all that is that, you know, the, the, the sense that people are not, I mean, like you, you, I, you've done a good job of compartmentalizing what's fucked up about it, but also yeah. just looking at the, you know, people are not, uh, don't have very sort of broad views of people's yeah. sexual kinks. I, cause I think that the learning in this is like that, like, one, it's clearly he's trying to take advantage because the average 19 to 22 year old girl is not familiar with like BDSM or rape play. Like that's not like that's not what America does. They're not like, hey, girls, let's open up and know like if you want to get choked a little bit, here's your safe word. They're just like there's the Madonna horror thing. So the girl I think the half of the, the get off for him was that like whatever he did was going to be unexpected and like the girls weren't going to know to say no because they don't know what's normal. So I feel like there was a bigger variety of people knowing what's normal and knowing that you can stop anything at any time. And that kind of experience would probably come with a woman that's much closer to his age is what's weird for me. And I think the, like the learning is like, okay, we need to be more open about kinds of sex that aren't vanilla. So people know what to expect and what not to expect and like where their line is. So you don't like get into bed with somebody who's going to do some wild shit and then just like freeze. Because I think that's because there's there's no way you could have knowledge of that, and I so I feel like there was a, a larger knowledge. Yeah, like instilling the the, the yeah. instilling fear part is is what's uh, you know that's like worrying in that like they weren't active participants in this. Yeah, they weren't they weren't willing participants. That's the that's the really fucked up part. Because I think yeah, because I think if you're more familiar, you're not afraid, and I think fear causes people to freeze. I think more likely it's like fight or flight or flight, and it's just like you can almost just go like okay, let's just get this over and see whatever happens to me, and then like you weren't really a willing participant and you didn't enjoy it. But if you're more, if Army Hammer is like, here's the list of things I'm going to do to you. And you're like, no, yes, no, no, yes, no. <laughs> like if people were, I think that would be a better experience. And I think the wilder you are, the more you need to be like, you need to have that full checklist and the safe words. And I and think, you- I think to bring it back to what we were talking about before, I think that the gay community has probably been a little bit better at just being open about exploring. Yeah. By no means. Perfect. But I think far, far more experienced and open with what you're used to or what your experience or where your your lines and your boundaries are, because I feel like it's an aspect of like discovery. Like I think when you're gay, you have to discover what you like more. Like you have like like I think for an average man and a woman, like you know, you don't have the average man and woman, male female heterosexual relationship. The option of like one of you fucks, one of you gets fucked. With men, it's like, you can do both. You can do either. Both could be happening at the same time. Who fucking knows? Like, like you have to really find your line, find what you want, find what you're into. And those options are really thrown in your face very quickly from the second you come out and really like, you know, like I've opened Grinder. I've never actually used it because I feel like it's like a fire hose of dicks. It's just like, on average, like, you know, when you're in like Tinder or Hinge or whatever, you're like, hey, how are you? It's like that's not the vibe. No, the vibe because it's like, like Tinder without people pretending that they don't want to just, yeah. you know, like there's a whole, there's a whole sort of, you know, like there's a whole list of rules and regulations. Yeah. You open Grinder and it's like I like choking and like my safe word is yellow, like that, <laughs> like, like, okay. and like that's, and like that's the vibe you're getting from Jump. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> so when, when, when you came. Uh, when, so you came to New York, and was it quick that you were just like, "All right, let me stop pretending and just fucking let it let it go"? No, it was another like it was another like six years because then like, I came to New York, and then like my good friends are all the friends I play football with. 
So it took a while. And then kind of I was working in finance. And then I actually ended up working in fashion at Ralph Lauren. I met a couple of, I met more just like more creative, more like, and then more with more gay friends involved in the environment. And then even after that, it was kind of like around like 28, it was like, okay, cool. What the fuck am I doing? Like, if I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to date. I need to do stuff. I didn't like literally. Wow. 28. I mean, that's 28. 28 that's fucking, that's late, man. I know. It's very late. And it's, it's funny really, talking not, to you now. You're, you're talking to you now. It's like so shocking because you, you, you know, with all the confidence and the intellect and everything that you're bringing to the table, it's amazing that it it took that long. It it really it really is. And it was so funny. It was like a funny coming out experience because, like, I think it was also very important because there's also a, like a, a I would say stereotypically a higher level of homophobia in the black community. So I was like really really scared of coming out to my parents because I think even if, when you're gay your parents might not be homophobic because culture in general is, they will say things that will like shut it down. Like I remember watching dream girls with my mom and they were male dancers. And she said something derogatory about like male dancers and being gay. If she'd known I was gay, she would never have fucking said that. But it's it's these little things that happen when you see little latent or subconscious homophobia and your friends and family, people around you that like stop you from doing it. Mm. You know, or like even, I don't know how, what, like, there used to be a game when I was little called Smear the Queer. And, like, I didn't even think about that. But it would literally, you would just throw a ball up and the person that got the ball would get tackled. I think that game oh. was supposed to be called 5,000. All right. Well, <laughs> we, we we used to just call Tackle the Man with the Ball. But, yeah, I, the, I know but, the game yes, very in, well. in Dallas, Texas, in, in 1995, that game was called Smear the Queer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Which is so, just not surprising for some reason. No. So, and you don't realize how like <laughs> wild that name is until you as though you're like, oh damn, these are the things it's that literally kind of, like gay bashing training. Yeah, like this literally is- the game the game might as well instead of Ghostbusters, it was gay bashers. Like that was the game. Like yeah. it, was, it was like insane. But it's those little things that happen. So then I like came out to my dad and he's like, okay, I love you. I'm playing dominoes. And I was like, you anything else? It was almost like I told it's so him. so like, common I like, though. It's so common. I like the experience of worrying about talking about it for so long. And then the father is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like yeah. I like, he's like, okay, cool. I love you. Is there something else? I was like, no. So I call my mom and she's like, I'm super cool. Why would you not come out to me? Like she made it completely about her. Like I love my mom, but she <laughs> can be a self-centered diva. And she was just like, I'm a, really cool and really amazing and like I don't understand like why I'm like mom this was about me and my journey and being comfortable and my sister thought I was trolling her so like because I am very sarcastic and ridiculous so she was like shut the fuck up she thought I would like was just like doing she, it like, she 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 didn't have an inkling she must have but the thing is we didn't really grow up like we're five years apart so I feel like by the time I left she was only 12 or 13 so we weren't gonna and then like I'm in college she's at home so like we were never really in the same place that much. Yeah. Uh, but then she was like, she's like, no, you're not. Are you joking? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm gay. And then she cried, but she cried because she was like worried about the world. But then it doesn't matter now. And now we have a beautiful, you know, very <laughs> modern family brother sister relationship where I feel like when normal brothers feel like that ownership of like their sister, like oh my little sister, I'm just like no girl, you got to go out there and like own your shit. Because I remember one time she was texting me and she was like whatever I'm going to say it. She was like, she, she was like, I want to send this guy a picture. I want to send him a dirty pic. And I was like, she's like, and then I thought I shouldn't. But then I thought, well, I'm sure Blakely's dick is all out there everywhere. I'm sure he's sending news to people all over the place. Like whatever. Like if he'll, if he can do it, I can do it. So like, that's more our relationship. She, she was inspired by your promiscuity. She was like, wait, yeah. She's like, Blakely's a dirty hoe. So like, I can do the same. And he has a job and he, you know, goes to the dentist occasionally. So like, I can do that too. And do you regret, do you, do you, I mean, do you have a sense of like, why did I wait so long or? I try, yeah, I mean, I do regret not coming out earlier, but I feel like everybody's journey is their journey. And like, you you have to kind of like, all the experiences that I've had previous to this very second have made me who I am now. And I very much, at this second of the day, like who I am. <laughs> like, if I can go back and forth between all humans. So... I do feel like there was a lot of wasted time and experience, but I also, it almost was like, I don't know. I almost felt like when I came out, I was like, when I graduated college, I was like 260. When I came out, I don't know if, if this was subconscious or on some level, but like when I came out, I was like 195 and like 8% body fat. Like, I, I don't know if I was just mentally preparing, like, okay, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this in New York, 
<laughs> like, you better be fucking hot. <laughs> like, so I don't know. Maybe I feel like maybe on some level that's what was going on. When I came out, I felt like I felt like I was fully myself. It was almost like a Marvel movie when you like get your full fucking powers. I was like, oh wait, now because there's this weight at all times. There's this weight of expectation. There's this weight that if you have a certain nuance or you speak a certain way or you're, you react to something or you like something or you dance or you wear something that you could be called this thing that you're afraid of. And when that fear is removed from all things, you can just walk around with this like, almost like fucking supreme level of confidence at all times. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but once that weight is lifted, I'm like, I can wear whatever the fuck I want. I can paint my nails however the fuck I want. I can like do short of a committing crimes, <laughs> whatever the fuck yeah. I want. And it, it's just going to be me and like owning that selfness is ex- ex- like when I came out, and then we like maybe my friends all went to like Coachella together, and it was just like the most fun I've ever had. Like just like being like, okay, cool. Like I can dance how I want to dance. I can do what I want to do. Not that I wasn't doing it before, but just when that ultimate like level of freedom is there, it yeah. was it was really like exhilarating and fun and felt like the apex of some kind of like Rocky movie or or like I don't I don't know. It was it was really really it was really really good and really really cool. I feel was like- there any was 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 there parts yeah obviously so in a way you're like you're letting go of all the stuff you're protecting yourself with were you surprised yeah. at some stuff that that you that was part of that stayed once you came out and was there parts of you that i think i think it is very interesting too in that i'm gonna miss i'm gonna miss say this at some point in some way but i think the interesting part i think about being a queer person is that every part of your adult life is you interrogating yourself to find out which parts of you are you and which parts of you are things that you built up as, as a protection from ridicule. So you, and you have them for so long that you don't know, like, am I doing this to stop something that I was afraid of for the first 28 years of my life? Or am I doing this because I like doing this? And I think it's a constant interrogation of self. And it even happens to this day, even like, you know, am I, painting my nails because of this am i am i not am i am i into drag or not because of this am i into sports or not because i am i am i actually into sports do i actually like football or was something i used to be perceived as more masculine do i like beer no i hate beer beer was a protection that was an easy one fuck beer (laughs) (laughs) but i think it it is an interesting it is difficult and it is can be exhausting but i think it is also rewarding because at the end of the day i think people that are queer end up being more than their straight counterparts their truer selves because you have to interrogate that from the moment you come out you have to interrogate what part of me is actually me and what part of me was built for survival or built to protect myself from potential ridicule and pain it from like puberty on and I don't think anybody ever really truly finishes that journey, but I think that constant work on yourself is good to have and do. Yeah, and I like you say, I do think that that's very much a human thing too. And in a, it's, it's not a blessing, but the fact that you're forced to question that more is probably in the end to your benefit. Exactly, like, because I, like, I, I think everything you're talking about, everybody struggles with that. Exactly, and I, and I feel like, I feel like it's just it's a it's not it's like again I wouldn't say it's a blessing or a curse, but in a way I would say it's a blessing because I feel like I do know myself and know what I want, and I am very much so internally driven because I feel like not everybody gets the chance to have a thing that is so deeply ingrained in themselves something that you would be like afraid about or something that, that you could potentially get so much backlash and do get backlash still to this day in culture about. So it's like, if I can be, you know, gay and black through Trump's America, I'm never going to like worry about what my fucking musical taste is or being polite about what I wear or how I dress or the things I like and don't like <laughs> because those just seem so frivolous to me. Like, you know, I'm never going to like, Pretend to like something I don't. Pretend to like a show I don't. A, a restaurant I don't. Some clothing I don't. Some music I don't. Like it's all like I like what I like and I do what I do and I try to be a better person because why not? I have and, I, and also because you spend so much of your time, especially for me, especially all two plus decades <laughs> wasting time not fully embracing those things. So I feel like in a way you're making I, or I was personally making up for lost time. So just to finish up because I, I want to indulge. You just mm-hmm. said. That if you can get through being gay and black and Trump's America, you can get through anything. <laughs> how, like, how do you feel now that we've gotten through this? 
Uh, I feel a, it's like taking a half sigh of relief. I feel like the events of like last summer and this year were almost in a way where like the bullshit that everybody was, I think there's a difference between what America is and what America presents itself to be. And America has the potential to be a great place. But I do think the co-opting of that phrase, make America great again, I think what happened was a, a slow crescendo and buildup of that realizing that that phrase was really just a euphemism for make America like straight and white again. Mm-hmm. And I think it built up to the point where like with the insurrection was just the explosion of it. Of like these people that went here, like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently. I asked Mint Mobile's legal team. If big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation, they said, yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's interesting because what are you, what are you, what has Trump actually gotten done? He, the wall didn't go up, you know, like Obamacare still for the most part, I think is intact. Don't at me on that. But like, he didn't really get anything. The Muslim ban is now gone two days later. Like, what did he do for you? What did he, besides try to make you feel better than somebody else by putting down women and Muslims and gays and black people and kind of siding with white supremacists. And I feel like even if there are legitimate gripes you have with America and the disenfranchisement of the working class in general by both political parties, I think there's a simple way to feel like if Nazis are on your side, you're on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. That's like a small litmus test. Like if you're looking around and you're like, we're arguing, arguing and like, you got like Nazis to your right and like proud boys to your left. You're wrong. You're incorrect. Like just, it's a short, it's, it's like the, the Cliff's Notes for am I on the right side of history. Yeah, like, that's why I have. Right, look to your left. That's why I have a little bit of a problem with these people who try to have the rational discussion of let's look where this anger is coming from. And it's like, I get it. People are disenfranchised. They feel like the system's not working for them, but they very quickly turned it into we're under attack from multiculturalism, yeah. increased yeah. racial diversity, and equality of opportunity amongst all groups of people. Yeah. You're I, feeling I, I threatened also, by that. I feel like also, but I think I'm all, I've always been aware of from a young age that the loss of privilege feels the same as discrimination. And it takes a very self-aware person to know that it's not the same. So I feel like even when I was little, you know, like, oh, we we're like applying to colleges. And I'm like, okay, like I got into like... I'm going to be a dick, but I got into like pretty much everywhere I got. I got into like Harvard, Yale, whatever, like Duke, et cetera. And then you have kids being like, well, that's affirmative action. And I was like, well, you do know that like your dad's friend writing a letter to UT so you can get in is also affirmative action. And, you know, like the fact that my, my grandparents owned, you know, a bunch of land in Mississippi that they were basically had stripped from them. That is now the land that like it has public universities on it. That was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And there are people, you know, and then there are white people that now own that land and have the money to buy the way into universities. Like that's what affirmative action is for. Like that there's been a system that has constantly disenfranchised people up to my parent generation, up to like my parents' age, and have you have taken those opportunities and thrived from them and and putting actions in place to help more people that don't necessarily look exactly like you thrive is not you being attacked it's like Mm. a rebalancing of the scales but i think it's hard when you've always been told the scales are balanced it's like a red pill blue pill it's like hey surprise you're not that special or smart you've just had like a 400 year head start (laughs) yeah and it's 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 
for some reason, people just can't perceive it as racism, discrimination, prejudice. They just can't see it, you know, even though it's, it's, it's clear as, you know, it's so clear once it's, you know it's the very clear, but, it, but it's also like, but I think it's also a combination of like when you dismantle the public education, like our public education has gotten worse and worse from the 70s to now. And I think it's like people don't know these things. And they're talking about like homeownership or things of that nature, or, you know, that, that, that that's the primary builder of wealth for American people. But when you talk about how do people get homes, the GI Bill people came home from World War II. And that bill excluded all black people. So there were black people that fought and then came back and couldn't get those loans to own houses. And those houses became the, the, the stepping stones to wealth building because proper, what, what is God not making any more of? Land. So it's like, that's what happens. And that's like a primary case of like, oh, your parents bought that house in Mar Vista, California for $1,000 and yeah, now it's yeah, like yeah. 2.5 million. And now you're using that for your trust fund. And like, okay, you know what happened to my dad? He got called a nigger and spat on and now we rent. Like that's like that <laughs> direct effects. I feel like, but I feel like people don't want to take ownership for that. They're like, well, I didn't do it. But it's like, but no, but statistics are somebody in your family did. <laughs> And a lot, in a way, a lot of what we're seeing with this Trump stuff is people reacting to their perception of the loss of power. And as much as people don't like to think that they're reacting to that, when it starts to fade away, people have strong reactions, which we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think honestly, you actually crystallize it in a very succinct way is that basically what, what happened is because culture in America is so largely ingrained and really like normalized around whiteness, there is a lot of power to being white. And I'm not saying that in a white power way. I'm saying that in like blondes are found more attractive, fair skins found more attractive. You think the people that are leaders are a square jawed dude who's six feet tall, who's white. Like all those things are ingrained in all of us. And I feel like in a way, like I've always said to people like racism is the water, not the shark. Like it's everywhere and in everything. And I feel when people are starting to like chip away at that, like I'm better because of this, or if, and I think that's also a, a core seminal thing where like, if I am, a, am a, a part of the American middle class and I'm losing that power and my jobs are being outsourced and I'm, I'm having less ability to like, you know, contr- to, to financially control my destiny when I've been told all my life that this is a meritocracy and that if I do this and I can pick myself up by my bootstraps, I'm going to be better. But if you're running and you're running in place or really falling behind the last thing you have to really feel powerful or individual is that connection to whiteness, whether conscious or subconscious. Mm. So when people are saying to you, Oh, that last thing I have, that last thing that I was holding on to to make me feel like I'm a part of like a, a part of this or, or feel powerful is not special. And it's going to be taken away on some kind of, you know, legal or cultural basis people are just reacting fucking wildly to that they're like wait what like i can't get a job i have like 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 the dad i can't get a job i got three duis but you know what like at your core like culture and media is still built towards my perception and my gaze and if you're going to take that away from me it's like people it takes a lot of self-awareness to know that's what you're reacting to and i think a lot of people don't don't when they're like we're making it great it's a revolution like for what like we're so lucky that there was no actual organization or thought process behind the people that did break in. Like, could, like, what if they'd had actual demands or, or actual well, yeah, or if Trump was smart, <laughs> yeah, if Trump was smart and well, smart enough, and I don't mean that in a positive way, but if yeah. Trump was smart enough to get the military on his side before he fucking pulled that shit, we could literally have had a real coup. Like, and they were just like people like got in, and they were just like, yeah, it's a rev- of what? What do you oh, want? Yeah. Exactly. What do you want? Uh, they're just like so. It was. It was like it's both terrifying and funny because it's like, oh, you walked in and got into like the main chamber and were like taking Nancy Pelosi's desk and talking about freedom. But then, like, what was the angle? Like, what what were you doing it for? What did you actually want? Like, I, and I think a lot of people just didn't. They don't, they don't know. They don't, they don't even, because I think they're, what you said before too is true, is that people were reacting to Trump because he can speak very effectively on an emotional level, not a logical level. So I feel like once he like stirred up that fear, that emotion, that anger, they have it, but they don't even really know on an intellectual level what it's about. They don't want to let go of like the old school, like 
80s jokes. You know what I mean? It's like that. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like I literally at the beginning of quarantine watched 80s movies. And we're like, let's watch. We haven't seen them. So I watched like 48 hours or 16 candles. And I was like, what is this? What is this bullshit? Excuse me. Like, no, thank you. Like, they're like long duck dong. How did that get by anybody? They also, <laughs> while he was pulling up, we're playing the song, I'm turning Japanese, but he's from China. So I was just like, what? Or like in 48 hours, he goes into that fucking Confederate bar and fights all the people. And then like at a certain point, the black police chief calls Eddie Murphy the N-word. So I feel like that's been such as, or even Blazing Saddles. I know it's supposed to be like a seminal classic. Fuck Blazing Saddles. That shit was so uncomfortable. Don't think it's cute. Oh, Don't that's think funny. funny. I gotta re I gotta rewatch Brooks. That. I don't know if you're dead or alive. Fuck you. Not funny. Don't like you. <laughs> but like, but like it was, it's just people that's been a part of American culture is like being able to make fun of otherness, whether it's whiteness, whether it's a woman that's not a part of like the traditional, the traditionally attractive complex, whether it's black people, whether it's gay people. And that's what it, like, it, or even up to like, can't hardly wait, you know, those nineties sitcoms where it's like, Oh, he's black side character. Oh, she's fat. She's a bitch. And that's been okay. And now people are like, wait, wait, wait. Time out. Fucked up. No, thank you. And I think that the ability, they're like, we can't even say anything anymore. It's like, well, all the things you were saying were hurtful and terrible. Just nobody was telling you because you kind of held this position. And I think that on an emotional level, it was what drives people to do irrational, dumb shit. Because they're like, oh, I don't want to relearn what's culturally appropriate. I'd rather have all people shut the fuck up and have somebody tell me, yeah, they're right. Everybody else is sensitive. And that's what drives you to like take a private plane to break into the white house and then be surprised when you get arrested. But go on. Let me, I, I, I'm going to let you go. I've really taken a lot of your time. It's not fair. I'm really indulging myself in a, in a kindred spirit. No, this with has this been stuff. We, could do, we could do a part two in any time on, on St. Patrick's day. I'll, <laughs> I'll just be inside. I'll be like, guess what I saw today. This is the song that got wrapped at me. No, you but know? I, I, I want to make sure you get a chance to uh, plug your, your your Instagram, your jewelry company. What what, what do you want to plug? Uh, you can find my jewelry at civiljewelry.com. C-I-V-I-L-J-E-W-E-L-R-Y. Wow, that's hard to do. And you can find me on Instagram at Blakely Thornton. B-L-A-K-E-L-Y-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. I'm around. You'll see a lot of probably like gay shit, black shit, and thirst traps. I know it's pretty funny though. I mean, you got you you got you have a good like I I know you're saying you're not going to be a stand-up comedian, but you you have the skills and the 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 passion to have a funny point of view on things that comedians well, desire. I'm going to um, this is my first time throwing down the record. I want James Corden's job. I want James Corden's job in 7 years because I like, you know why? I'm high maintenance. I want to maybe act occasionally but in ways that are only just different versions of me. <laughs> which is what he does and i want to just play games with celebrities i feel like that'd be i i can do that you know and i feel like i am more should i have a a face built for television a little bit more than james everybody (laughs) follow blakely i'm gonna let him go do you know the main reason why i need to finish which is how most of my pods finish i need to pee so fucking bad that I As do go. I. So I'm glad you're saying that because I've been feeling it for honestly a good 15 minutes. And I'm just like, Me too. I'm like, I'm into this, but... I gotta pee, man. All right, <laughs> yeah. listen, Blakely, thank you so much, bro. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. So thanks, guys. Uh, thanks to Blakely. I just had the best pee ever. Um, and I'm very happy about that. Uh... Thanks so much for all the recent uh, new subscribers to the podcast. Thank you for people that leave reviews and give us five stars. You can never do that enough uh, for the record. So if you're inclined, you're an Apple podcast listener, do take time to scroll to the end of the episodes. And when you see the review section, do click on the five stars. And if you have time, just tap on a quick review. It's not that I need your praise or criticism. It just helps us on the charts. And if you get higher chart position, you know, that's a chance to get more listeners. Um, also, if you listen on Spotify, as I always say, take a screenshot, put it up on Instagram, do tell people on Twitter, tell people you listen to the pod. Cause I think sometimes 
people might not know what's going on in the pod these days, especially partially my fault. The vibe of this pod is always changing, but we have a nice consistency now, and I would appreciate it if people did spread the word, and perhaps we we can bring some non-believers of what they think might be going on here over, because I do think that we've had some very interesting episodes lately, some interesting guests, some good subject matter. So remember that we'll have an extra episode this week on Friday with Dermot, and uh, I think that's going to be great. I haven't recorded that yet. I'm recording that tomorrow, Uh, so... I guess until then, uh, I'll see you. Don't forget to follow me at Des Bishop on Instagram, at Des Bishop on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. Loving all the feedback lately direct to me. Loving people sliding into DMs, telling me uh, the stuff that um, connects with them. The Claudia Conway story took a fucking weird turn yesterday, so God knows what's going to happen there. Uh, if you, you should follow up on that if you found it interesting what I was talking about last week because there's some weird shit going on in that family. God God love them. I hope that whatever's going on, everybody is safe. Um, and yeah, I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Peace.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 